Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download the house app. It's going to be a great day. Listen, the lake can wait. The barbecue does not have to start yet. Come on, we're going to have a great uh, service. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, uh, my name is Devin. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, our uh, lead pastors are actually getting ready to go visit family down in Texas. And so, uh, come on, don't you love our pastors here at the house? Okay, okay. All right, y'all going y'all gonna to have to help me, okay? You're going to have to help me today, all right? I'm going to have one out, like, you know what I'm saying? We're going to interact with each other. This isn't just going to be me talking to you. We're going to, you know what I'm saying? We're gonna, you're going to talk back a little bit. You know, it's interesting when I go to uh, sporting events and the winning team is the loudest team. Like, nobody at the Cowboys game that likes the Cowboys is ever uh, that loud. Uh, but when we go to the Chiefs game, it's real loud because they usually are winning. And so when we're in church, how many of you know uh, we're on the winning team? And so there should be some energy. There should be some excitement about what we get to do. And so, but you will hear, the longer you're at church here, you will hear these three uh, concepts of no love challenge. You will hear that if you're in a life group or if you sign up to serve on a team, you'll hear people talk about knowing people, loving people, and challenging people. And what we really mean by that is that everybody needs to be known by somebody. Like you need people in your life who really know you, not the not the Instagram version of you, not the version of you, you know, you wake up, you put your makeup on, then you get back in bed, you take a selfie, like I woke up like this. No, you didn't. You did not wake up like that. That's not the real you. Like, you need people who actually know you, who know your strengths, who know your weaknesses. And so you need people in your life who do that. And then once they know you, come on, you need people who are going to love you despite, you know what I'm saying, your morning breath and different things that go on. Like, you need some people who are going to love you regardless. It's important that you get known first. This is why I tell the girls in our youth group all the time. They be like, Pastor Devin, I'm in love. I'm like, you don't even know him. He don't even know him. He don't even know. What's his social security number? He don't even know. It. He can't tell you. So there's no way. He ain't got no job. You're not in love. You just you just like them, okay? Let's just stay with let's just stay with like for right now. And um, once you have people who know you and love you, then you have to allow yourself to be challenged by them. And and challenge is sometimes something that we avoid, but it's but it's good for you. Come on, when you don't have any challenge in your life, you get stagnant. You stay in the same place. And so there are there are no other two people who do that uh, in my life more than Pastor Stephen and Katie. So could we ju- could you just join me in showing them some honor this morning? Let's go. Absolutely. Well, we are starting a brand new series today called The Path to Progress. Come on, anybody in here, just show of hands, anybody want to make progress in their life? Okay, every hand should be up right now. Nobody wakes up in the morning and it's like, you know what, I think I want to be stuck today. Or you know what, I think I want my life to get worse today. No, we want to progress. Come on, and God wants you to have progress. God wants you to move forward in your life. God is not looking to hold you back from progress. But um, since we are in Northwest Arkansas, and business is always booming, I do have to let you know that the world standard of success is not always God's measurement of success. And so we easily begin to look at metrics like our bank account and the size of our house and how much influence we have. And if we've gotten a promotion recently and we say, okay, if that is happening, then I am progressing. And if it isn't, then I'm not. And that's a dangerous way to live because God actually looks at our obedience. God actually looks at, if, have you been faithful to do what I've asked you to do? And that mean, that will show us whether we're progressing or not. So we cannot measure success in the same way uh, that the world measures it. And so uh, real quick, 
I want to look at this verse in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And let's look at what Jesus has to say about the path. He says this, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Come on, real quick, I got to talk to all my people who like hiking. Anybody in here, you know what I'm saying? You like to go hiking every now and then. I, I'm going to be honest, I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with hiking, all right? It's just intense walking, if we're being honest, uphill. And I love the views, okay? I love when you get over the mountaintop, you see the waterfall. I, I feel like that's available on the internet. I'm going to be honest with today's technology. I don't know if we have to go three miles for that. But anyway, I will go. But when I do hike with people, there is a type of person I will go with and a type of person where I'm leaving, okay? <laughs> the first type of person is the people who stay on the path, who follow the directions. When the thing says, hey, we're going to hike this direction for two miles, you do that, and then you come back, okay? Me and you, we can be friends. We can go hiking. For everybody else in the room who likes to go off the beaten path, who, who like to be adventurous, I would call it dangerous, but you say adventurous, I'm just going to let you go by yourself. Don't even invite me because when you get lost, when you can't find your car, when you've been out there for three hours hungry, like I'm going to be at the house eating McDonald's because I've already been back home because I follow the instructions and on the path that they told me to go. And Jesus is saying that there is a path that uh, we will have to choose. There's two paths. One of them is wide and easy, and that's the one that most people take naturally. Come on, it looks like the right one because it's easy. And then there's another one that's actually a little bit more narrow, and it's, and it's more difficult. And when we read these verses, a lot of times we automatically think heaven and hell. We think, come on, wide is the gate that leads to hell. So I'm going to avoid that one, and narrow is the gate that leads to heaven. But here's what, how you can also understand this verse is that there are some choices that you make that bring life to the situations you're in, and there's some choices that you make that will bring destruction to the to the situations you're in. So you can choose to breathe life into your kids, or you could be the type of parent that brings destruction when you come home. Come on, you could be the type of husband or wife that brings life into your spouse by the choices that you make, or you could be the type of spouse that brings destruction. Come on, you could bring some life to your finances, or you could buy everything you see, and uh, we would call that uh, destruction, okay? <laughs> and so there are choices for us to make that don't just affect our eternity, but they also affect the type of life that we live right now. And in order for us to stay on the path that God has for us, come on, we're going to have to overcome some challenges. And so all throughout this series, we're going to be talking about, come on, how do we stay on the path that leads to life, stay on the path that leads to progress and continue to move forward. I want to turn to Jeremiah chapter 21, 29, verse 11, real quick. This is a super popular verse. Come on, this is your mama favorite verse, your grandma favorite verse. You got it on your refrigerator. Everyone loves this verse. It says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Let's pray as we get ready to get into what God has for us today. God, we thank you for your word that it never returns back to you void. God, we pray today that, it is a go, that as it goes forward, you would bless it and it would plant seeds in our heart and we would not leave this place the same that we came in. God, we love you and we honor you in this place. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, anybody grateful that we serve a God that has good plans for you? I need to hear you. I need to hear you a little bit. Anybody grateful 
that we don't serve a God that wants to hurt you. We don't serve a God that wants to harm you, but he has great plans for you. What does he say? A plans for a hope and a future. Come on, plans for you to prosper. I'm not just telling you this because it's in the Bible, but I've seen it in my own life. In this moment, maybe this is your first time meeting me or hearing me speak, and, and, and you just see this snapshot of my life. But if I could just take you back to when I was growing up in Louisiana, come on, I was raised by a single mom who had nine kids. My dad was in prison when I was born, and I never really had a relationship with him. We were on food stamps my entire life. We moved from house to house my entire life. All of my friends, none of their dads were in their lives. And there was, there was never a thought in my head of, man, there's a hope and there's a future. The people that I knew in my neighborhood had always been in my neighborhood from the time I was two to the time I was 16. And so there was no thought in my mind of hope and future, but can I tell you that God had different plans for me? Come on, God saw me in the middle of that and where every statistic said, oh, you're going to be here for the rest of your life. God said, no, you're not. I have a good plan for you, one to prosper you, a hope and a future. And so now today I can stand before you being the first pastor in my family, being the first one to graduate high school with a full ride scholarship in my family, the first one to buy a home in my family, the first one to get married and then start having kids in my family. Like there's a lot of things that God was able to do in my life and God wants to do the same thing in you because there is no special anything about me the same God that I serve is the same God that you serve and God wants to do it in your life so I know everyone in your family has been an alcoholic but God has a different plan for you come on I know every man in your family has been abusive but God has a different plan for you. I know that everybody in your family has always been poor, but God has a different plan for you. And I wish there were some people in the room who say, you know what, my situation looks different right now, but I know that I serve a God who has good plans for me. Listen, as we begin to talk today about the path to progress, I believe that, that God has this system to make sure that you continue progressing, continue moving forward. And uh, he has rites of passage, okay? Come on, anybody know what a rite of passage is? It's, it's, these, it's these ceremonies or rituals where young people or uh, just people in general step from one level to the next. So maybe you had a rite of passage when you learned how to swim, all right? Come on, maybe you went out with your dad and he was just like, whoop, kabloosh. And you just figured out how to swim. Come on, that was your rite of passage. Maybe he took you out into the woods and was like, if you find your way back home, I know you're a man. And you were like, all right, cool. I guess I'll see you when I see you. Like, the, there are these rites of passage. Graduation is a rite of passage. Come on, it's a, it's a time where we tell people, hey, I used to be this way, and now I'm going to step into and become this way. And God has rites of passage. So my title today is The Rites of Passage. And the first one, the reason why I'm spending some time talking about the plans that God has for us is that the first rite of passage is belief. The first thing you're going to have to do, if you're going to move forward in life, you're going to have to believe that God has good plans for you. You're going to believe that God, you're going to have to believe that God has something good for you, that everything is not doom and gloom, but that you can pick up your hope and you can begin to walk. And so we shouldn't be a room full of people who say we believe in a Bible with all kind of crazy stories, but we don't believe that God can do anything new in us. And the last thing that God did amazing in our life was 2010 or 2015. No, God wants to do new things. God wants to give you hope. God wants to give you a future. And so we have to believe and believe again. 
You used to believe, that, but then maybe something happened, and I'm asking you to believe again. You used to believe, and then you're, you, got, you got let down by something or a situation. I'm asking you to believe again. We have to pick up our belief if we're going to progress. And now I would love personally nothing more than to just sit right here and talk about hope and talk about good things because that feels good and we can all smile and then you can go eat your barbecue and we can all feel good. But can I say something challenging to you? Okay, three people want me to say something challenging to them. It's all right. I'm going to let God do it. I'm going to let the Bible do it anyway because you can't really be mad at him. I guess you could, but it wouldn't really matter. Anyway, um, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4 through 10. So I want to read the verses that happened right before uh, the verses all about the hope and the future. And so it says this, this is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So just a little backstory. Uh, Jeremiah is a prophet to the nation of Israel, okay? And God has this covenant agreement with Israel. Come on, if you will be my people, come on, if you will obey me, then I will bless you. Now, Israel just has one problem. They love the being blessed part. They just don't like the obeying and following and doing what I want you to do part. And so God uh, makes this covenant with them and he gives them this land. And the, and the deal was that Israel, they were going to go into this land. They were going to be surrounded by pagan nations, but they were going to go to be a light for God. Come on, they were going to tell people about the one true living God. The issue was is that instead of doing that, Israel just was like, hey, we kind of like what y'all doing over here. We want to do some of this. We want. They just became overly pagan. They started worshiping other gods. And so uh, God is not quick to anger. So over years and years and prophet after prophet, God would be like, hey, you need to turn. You need to repent. You need to come back to a relationship with me. You're kind of living wild right now. I need you to come back into a relationship with me. And finally, he sends Jeremiah, the prophet. And Jeremiah is now like, hey, guys, if we don't turn, there's another nation being raised up who's going to come and take us captive. And, of course, the Israelites are having a good time. So they're partying. They're like, man, you know Jeremiah. He kind of he crazy. He just be saying stuff like, we can keep doing what we're doing. And sure enough, Babylon comes and takes Israel captive. And so Jeremiah is now talking to his people, and he says, this is what the Lord has to say for you. Let's look at this. Verse 5, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Now, this doesn't sound too bad until you realize I'm a slave right now. <laughs> this sounds great if we're in our land. This does not sound great if we're in somebody else's land. Hey, by the way, I know you're captive right now, but don't worry. Go ahead and build a house. Why don't you start a garden too? And in fact, go ahead and marry off your kids. Like, let's just go ahead and build a life right here. And it's like, okay, so you trying to tell me in not so many words that I'm going to be here a while, that I should just stay right here with these cruel people who are obviously here to punish me, and you want me to just sit here. And if that isn't enough, he continues. He says, also... Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Now, hold up. I was with you. I could build a house. Obviously, I need somewhere to stay. I can make a garden. My kids, yeah, sure, they can get married. But now you want me to pray for these people? You want me to want this place to do good? That's not, that's not the culture we have today. Come on, if you cross me, 
I'm not praying for you. That's the last thing on my mind is let me pray for you, okay? If you oppress me, I'm not like, eh, I hope you do good because if you do good, I guess I'll do good. Like that is not the thought that we have today. He continues on. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So here Jeremiah is, and he's telling people, we're being taken captive, and we're going to be there for 70 years. Well, that doesn't sound fun. Like, <laughs> like pretty much everyone who would have heard that would have thought, so you telling me I'm never coming back home, and I'm going to die in a place where I don't even belong. And so other prophets begin to raise up false prophets, and they're like, you know what? Jeremiah's wrong. I talked to God, and God said, we're going to be here for two years. Guys, don't worry. If your kid is in eighth grade right now, they'll just be a sophomore. They'll be able to come back and graduate from Israel High. Everything will be great. And Jeremiah's like, no. God is saying we're going to be here for 70 years. That means that you might, you might die in this spot. And I guess my question for us today is after we have belief that God can do good things for us, do we have the obedience to walk down the path that he picks for us? See, verse 11 feels a little bit different when you know that the plan is 70 years in exile. When you just take that verse out and it's like, God has plans for me, that's great. But when you find out, wait, you want me to stay at that job? You, you want me to stay submitted on that team? But didn't you see how they talked to me? You, you, you want me to stay in my marriage even though my husband talks to me like that? And God is saying, follow my plan. Because after you believe, I need to know if you're going to be obedient. So the second rite of passage is obedience. Listen, I have a uh, four-year-old son. And we're working on obedience, okay? If I'm just being honest, we are working on obedience, but he doesn't get to pick his path. I get to because he is under my authority. That's how it works. Sometimes I explain it. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I say, because I said so. I know some of you are like, that is terrible parenting. Well, you know what I'm saying? You raise your kids, I'm going to raise mine. This is going to be good. Uh, But our house functions better and he's more blessed when he's obedient. Okay, I got to tell you the truth about obedience. I, uh, I like to run. Anybody else a runner? Okay, I didn't. Okay, one other person. Let's go. We could. Let's go. Three runners. Let's go. We can start a club. Um, but there's a, a a guy in our church named VJ, and he came up to me last Sunday, and he was like, "Hey, man, me and a couple guys have been getting together and running around Pea Ridge." And so I was like, "Okay, let's let's do it." I didn't. So I showed up Tuesday morning, and I didn't realize he meant literally like running around the whole P Ridge. Uh, and so we're running and he's like, oh, it's just going to be about three miles. And I'm like, okay, cool. And so I'm, I'm keeping up with him pretty good. You know, I, I feel like I'm pretty young and agile and I'm like, all right, I'm keeping up. And then we come to this place to where it's just like a steep hill. He didn't tell me this about the path. He didn't tell me there was going to be a hill. So I'm like just going along, using everything I got. And then he says nothing about the hill. And then he just takes off a full sprint of the hill. And I'm like, I want to slap you in the back of your head right now. But but I don't think I could whoop you, so I ain't going to say nothing. Uh, and so I didn't get off the path. I just stayed obedient. I just followed him anyway because we were in the middle of peerage, and I didn't really know how to get back home from there. So I just had to, I just had to follow him. But it gets worse. Uh, on, on Wednesday night, 
one of the guys that we ran with, uh, his name is Braxton, he was like, hey, man, see you tomorrow morning at the track. And I'm the type of person that I know I never committed to that. I was like, I never told you I was coming on Thursday. But I was just in the moment, and he seemed like I thought maybe I did tell him because he was super confident that I was going to be there. So just without thinking about it, I was like, see you there. And now I'm a pastor, so I can't really, like, lie to people. So I was just like, all right, now I, now I have to go. I didn't say I'm going to go. And the deal was that we were going to sprint. We were going to do some sprints, some repeats. It was going to be great. We are just going to sprint. And I was like, okay, I'm fast. I can do that. And uh, we got there, and I see him carrying this 100-pound weight out to the track. And I'm like, I'm doing the math in my head. I'm like, I'm a buck 45 on a, on a heavy day. Uh, so that's like, that's pretty much another me. Like, what are we about to do with that? And he attaches it to this sled and he's like, all right, we're going to pull this sled backwards across the football field and back. Then you're going to sprint across and back. Then you're going to shuffle across and back. Then you're going to pick up these two 50 pound, uh, weights and walk them across and back. And I'm like, okay, I don't know who you think I am. I don't know if we're training to be a part of the Avengers or what we are doing, sir. But I came here to just run. But I was already there, and he's the person who I said, hey, I'm going to let you instruct me. So I was just obedient to what he said, and I'm sure it's going to bring some sort of benefits in the future, but right now it's just pain, and sometimes that's what obedience looks like. Sometimes obedience looks like I'm going to sit here in the same spot because this is where God told me to be, and I'm not going to move just because it's going to be more comfortable. I'm not going to move just because it's going to be more convenient, but I am locked in to obedience. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says this, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. If I would have picked my own path, I would have finished school. I don't know if I would have been in ministry because I had plans in my head of like, I want to accomplish these goals. But God had different plans for me. And God maybe has you in a situation that doesn't look like you thought it was going to look. But I just want to encourage you, stay obedient because God has good plans for you. And so God wants to know, will you be obedient even if it isn't something you would have chosen? And here's another thing we need to uh, be careful of is needing to know everything in order to obey. Come on, you don't need to know everything in order to obey. My son does not need to know that I spent hours cleaning the room and vacuuming and making it look nice for his mom for, in order for him to obey my command of don't dump your toys on the floor. And obedience only has to come into play when you disagree. So when we, like, at McDonald's getting Happy Meals, my son, obedience is not something that crosses his mind because I want him to have a Happy Meal. He wants to have a Happy Meal. So that's easy. The obedience comes in when I say, no, you can't have another ice cream. You have to go to bed. That's when he has to go, okay, I'm going to obey. Not, well, why can't I have another ice cream? You, you know, if you got toddlers, you already know. Like, it's a lot of whys in my house. It's just like, why this? Why that? I'm like... I, I don't know. I'm going to stay up tonight thinking about why the sky is blue, and I'm going to have to Google it, and tomorrow I'm going to have an answer for you, okay? But we will need to be obedient without needing to know everything and every step of the way. Speaking of my son, I thought it would be a great idea to coach his soccer team last fall, okay? And so uh, just a little backstory: I played soccer growing up, and um, I just thought, hey, this could be something I could share with my son. This would be great. We could, be, we could spend extra time together. This is going to be amazing. And so I think we have a picture of me and my son. Oh, look at that, man. See, you saying all because you didn't coach the team, okay? You don't know. That was... That was 57 meltdowns, uh, five timeouts. No, that was a lot. And so... Uh, the thing that was the hardest about coaching four-year-old soccer 
is that the last time I played, I was in high school. And so I was no professional athlete by any means. Okay, don't get it twisted. But, you know, there were some things I understood. Like my coach never had to get on to me and say, hey, stay on the field. Don't chase butterflies. Things I never had to be taught, okay? He never had to uh, bribe me to play hard with goldfish, okay? He never had to be like, hey, here are a couple goldfish, keep playing. But I, I had my wife walking around the field, like, rewarding kids. Like, we had a marriage system. You score a goal, you get a goldfish. Like, if you want goldfish, work hard. <laughs> the, this game was at such a lower level that it was almost hard to be like, okay, we're just going to go all the way back down to the basics. What changed? Not the game of soccer, just the level of the people who were in the game. And so you may be in a game right now, and you're thinking, okay, this is very silly. This is very, like, elementary. But God is wanting to see, okay, can you learn the basics of this game before we move you up to the next level? And there was really, there was really only two things I taught them the whole year. I only taught them two things. We spent so many Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays, but they only learned two things, okay? The first one is this, run in the right direction. <laughs> Look, just run in the right direction. Like, let's go towards our goal. Let's stop going towards the other team's goal. And can I tell you that that's a, that's a basic principle, but you may need to be obedient in that. Like the enemy would love to get you scoring on the wrong goal. Come on, life would get you, would love to get you aiming at the wrong type of success. And God is saying, can I just get you to turn this way and be obedient to score the right, like, like run the right way, okay? The second thing we taught them was don't touch the ball with your hands, okay? Stop touching the ball with your hands. Put your, as a matter of fact, I made them all at practice put their hands behind their back. I didn't even tell them this wasn't even a part of regular soccer. Don't go home and watch soccer. This is how everyone plays. And they usually see the kids, and they don't really have good balance, and their heads are kind of big, and it's just like, ah, they're just running everywhere. It was so bad that the first game, I forgot to tell them, like, you can actually, like, have your hands out. So all my team comes out with their hands behind their back, and I'm like, okay, now we look like the weird team, guys. Like, straighten up. Let's go. Um, and so... What am, why am I telling them not to touch the ball with their hands? Because that's not how you play that game. That's a, that's a completely different game. That's more like rugby or football or something, but, it, but it's not soccer anymore. And for a lot of us, come on, I see a lot of Christians who when stuff stops going, going their way, they pick up their ball and they go home. Well, you know what? I was serving on a team, but then that leader says something, and I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Well, you know what? I was trying to do the life group thing, and then you know what? I went, I went to it, and they said something in that finance class, and I was like, I don't agree with that. I don't care what Dave Ramsey said. I'm going, and I'm taking my ball, and I'm going home. We, can, we have to refuse to just pick up our ball and try to change the game because actually God is wanting to use it to change you. God is wanting the very thing that you are thinking that's too small or too uh, elementary. He's wanting to use that to change you because the third rite of passage on the path to progress is this. It's transformation. So changing the path won't do you any good if you don't change. And God is wanting to see, can I get your heart to change? Like once you believe and then once you obey, now I need to know if you can be transformed. I need to know if you can change your mind about some things. So you may be like closed off to new friendships right now because you had a friend in the past who hurt you and God has you on a path and he's wanting to find out, okay, will you begin to allow me to soften your heart towards people again and open yourself back up and have the possibility of getting hurt? Not because you believe everybody else, but because you believe God. See, God had to change my mind about some things. God had to change my mind about men of authority in my life. Every time somebody told me something, I would get sensitive. I would get mad. I would walk off. I would have something quick, like something smart to say back. Like there were, Because I didn't grow with a dad in my life, I didn't know how to manage being corrected. 
And God had to begin to change my mind and say, correction is not rejection. Come on, they're correcting. God loves those who he corrects. And so because of that, I was able to begin to change my mind. And this is how we change our mind. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern that what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so this is why we need the word. This is why you need to read your Bible because it exposes you to the things in your own heart and in your own life that don't line up with God's word. And at the end of the day, our goal is not to do what seems best to us. Our goal is to do what seems best to God. And as you're on the path, come on, you don't know why he made you a parent so young, but all of a sudden your kid is starting to bring up, anybody else's kids have the gift to just bring up all the bad out of you. I'm like, come on, you bring the, everybody's like, you bring the good out of me. Nah, my son, he bring the worst out of me. I'm like, okay, I didn't even know I had that anger in me until he said that to me like that. I didn't even know I had that pride until he swung on me out of the blue. I didn't even know I had all this in me, but as I'm on this path, come on, I didn't know all the things I had to deal with. I didn't know how selfish I was until I got married. And God is using the path to what? To begin to mold you into who he has called you to be. It's not even about where you're going necessarily. It's about who you're becoming in the process. God is knocking some things off of your life. And so I've had to change my mind on a thousand things. Had to change my mind on manhood. I had to change my mind on finances. I had to change my mind on what I thought leadership looked like. And so where we get stuck is we think that God is our GPS. I've even heard people say GPS stands for God's positioning system. And that preach is really good. Come on, you could get some amens for that. But the problem is, in my life, God and Siri are completely opposite. With Siri, I can put in my destination. I can choose which route I want to take based on the traffic. And she will tell me every step of the way, turn left right here, turn right right there, avoid the traffic. There's, there's an accident happening. They're building something over there again. And so you got to drive around. It's like Siri tells you everything. That's not how God operates. God doesn't do anything like that. God just gives you a picture and is like, all right, see you. He, he's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this in your life. Great. What do I need to do next? You'll figure it out. Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I ain't got no kids, God. Don't worry. It'll happen. As a matter of fact, go to the land that I will show you. Can you show me first? Can you at least show me before we go? Joseph, I'm going to give you this dream, and you're going to lead over your brothers. That sounds awesome. I'm going to go tell them. That was a bad decision. But anyway, uh, the next thing you see is sold into slavery. Like God has this way. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you feel called to something, and then you just get like a little taste of it. I remember the first sermon I preached when I was 17 years old. Oh, I thought I was about to be the next T.D. Jakes, y'all. I was like, yes. That was 10 minutes of fire. I'm telling you, at FCA, I killed it. I was like, yeah, they about to start booking me right now. I'm going to need to get a website. It's going to be awesome. My first job in ministry, janitor. When I'm going to preach, you're going to cut that grass. <laughs> when I'm going to preach, you're going to clean the toilets. When I'm going to preach, you're going to show up early and put out all the chairs and then put them back up. We only do one event in this room. Why am I taking these chairs up and putting them back up every week? Nobody else is coming during the week. Just do it. See, God gives you a blueprint. I remember building my house, and uh, the builder, like, laid out the blueprint. And he was like, this is what your house going to be like. 
And now it's like, sir, I have no idea what this is. Do I look like an architect to you? This just looks like lines in a straight, like in a squares, okay? As long as the, the carpet is the right color, so my wife likes it, and the walls, or where my son can't mess it up, I really don't care about this blueprint. But he didn't tell me what type of nails I'm gonna need to get, what type of screwdriver I need. I'm sure you, don't, you, I'm sure you use those two things to build a house, right, Eric? Okay, good. Um, he just said, this is what it's gonna be like. And I had to just go, okay, here's the money. Come on, I, be, I believe that it's going to be good. I believe that it's going to work out. If not, I'm going to get my money back. I'm going to follow the plan that you've given me. And I'm going to allow you to begin to, to mold this thing because I don't need to know every step of the way. I don't need to see everything. I don't need to know everything. This is, uh, let, let's look at Jeremiah's life when he first gets called to ministry. Uh, this is an example of God just giving you a picture and then not finishing the sentence. He says this, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. He didn't tell Jeremiah where to go to prophet school at. He didn't tell him what he was going to be saying. He didn't tell him anything. He just said, you're going to be a prophet. And here's why God doesn't give us the full plan, the full path. Because if you have that, then you lose your need for God. And so if you have all the directions, you no longer need a director. And God needs you close to him. God needs proximity with you. And so the next, path, the next rite of passage is proximity. So God is wanting to know, are you married to the path or are you in a covenant relationship with the creator? Because if you're married to the path, you'll stop listening to God. Once you think, okay, here's my next five things that I need to do. I don't need God anymore. I'm going to go ahead and work those out for myself. Then you lose your need for his voice. But there's something about when he just gives you one step that you constantly have to just keep coming back. Okay, you do the step and you're like, okay, God, what's next? And then he's like, okay, have you been obedient with what I asked you to do? Yes, he can give you the next thing. And then what happens over that is you begin to build relationship. You begin to build proximity. Every week, the kids on my soccer team had to come and be like, what you going to teach us this week? Running in the right direction? Don't touch the ball. That's what I'm going to teach you, kid. Drink a juice pop and let's go. Like, let's. Every, every practice, they had to come to me. And so some of us want to just go to one practice. We want to sit down. We want God to give us everything that we're going to work on for the whole season. And then we just want to be like, all right, I'll call you again when I need you. The only problem is you actually can't produce anything outside of God. Jesus told us this in John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, it's not about where you're going. The path is about who you're following. And some of us in the room, we're following Jesus with our whole heart and we're like, let's get it. Some of us in the room, if we were being honest, we're kind of following what culture is saying, or we're following trends, or we're, or we're following a career path, or we're following these next three steps to success. But if we were to be honest, we, we're not following Jesus. Yeah, we, sure, we like Jesus. Sure, we, we're comfortable with Jesus. 
but we're not following him. We're not coming to him every day saying, hey, I need proximity with you. The only problem is I don't know how you're going to progress and move into all that God has for you, all of the challenge, all of the hurdles you're going to have to overcome without being close to the Father, without being close to him. I don't know where I would have, where I would be over the last 10 years if I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. There's so many notes in my journal of people that I wanted to slap or people that I wanted to cuss out or things that I wanted to do or didn't want to do. But because I was close to Jesus, because I was willing to go, you know what? I don't know all the, how all this is going to work out, but I'm just going to stay close to the one who does know, who, who can allow fruit to begin to be produced in my life. And so I want to just encourage us to stay close to him. Because if God can get you in proximity to Jesus, he knows that he can get you through this last rite of passage. And this is the one that I'm just going to say it's going to be the hardest one for you to hear. And But I still love you. At the end of this, we can high five in the uh, lobby and it will be all friends, okay? Uh, the last rite of passage on the path to progress is death. There are some things that are going to have to just straight up die in your life. Some things that you're going to have to be willing to sacrifice at the altar in order to move forward. John chapter 12, verse 24 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, nothing is produced if the seed refuses to die. And the same is true for us. There's some things that are holding back the progress in your life because you refuse to let them die. You refuse to let them go. And there's things, maybe there's things that you've been holding on forever and you, you, you're like endeared to them now. Like you're like, hey, I gotta, I gotta have this. This is just who I am. It's been in my family for generations. This is just how we do it, okay? And God is saying, no, 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 no. I need you to allow those things to begin to die. And uh, this is why I don't really watch Netflix series, really. Because every time I get, like, connected to a character, they just kill them. They just die, like, three seasons later. I'm like, hey, I really like you. And then they just out of there. So now I will Google before I get attached. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, okay, before I, you know what I'm saying, really like this character. Let me Google and be like, hey, does this person die? And then if they say yes, I'm like, all right, I'm not even going to watch this show anymore. In my mind, you're still alive. Long live you forever. Um, And God wants to do the same thing in our life. He wants to take that thing that you think I can't live without this. And he wants it to be sacrificed because he knows that if he can give you to give that up, then he can move you forward in your life. And a lot of people die once or twice and think, yeah, you know what? I overcame a lot to do this step or that step. And God is saying, no, 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 I want to challenge you further. I want you to die again and again and again, and over, and over, and you're not just going to have one funeral for the things that you used to hold on to, but you're going to have many. Over and over, you're going to have to go through this process of, okay, I died a little bit, I died to myself a little bit, and then I moved forward, and then I found out there was something else in me that has to die, and then I died to myself a little bit more, and then I moved forward, and there was something else, and, and I love that we don't serve a God who is, who's unwilling to do that himself. You understand that Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, knew no sin, didn't participate in any of the things that entrap us and still was willing to say, you know what? I'm going to die on a cross to make a pathway for people to get back into relationship with my father. And we think of that death, but I also think of the thought that, that Jesus could have came in on his high horse. Come on, he could have been a king. At the snap of his finger, like angels could have came down and reigned and, and overthrew Rome. He could have done it that way, but he was obedient to his father and he was willing to say, you know what? That image of me that other people have, 
is going to have to die. Like I'm going to have to go to the garden and I'm going to have to pray so hard that I'll begin to sweat and I'll begin to bleed and I'll begin to cry out to God. Like, hey, if there's any way for this to pass, let it pass. But if not, I'm going to be obedient anyway. Because Jesus understood that if he died, it would teach us how. And so now Jesus not only died so you can live, but he died to show you how to die over and over and over again. And so just looking at my own life, I, I did have career dreams. God called me into ministry. I don't know if I want to do that. I don't think people in ministry, I mean, my pastor ain't have like the nicest car. <laughs> so it's just a, just a death I had to die. All right, now I'm up here and I really felt like I was called to youth ministry. The only problem is we were a church plant, so we just didn't have any youth. So we had kids, and Pastor Stephen was like, I need you to lead kids. And I, I never really wanted to work with kids, but you know what? I'm just, I'm just willing to die. And then we were, again, we were a church plant, so there was no positions on staff. So now I'm working at Slim Chickens, and I never really saw chicken fingers. Like, God, when you told me I was going to be a minister, I didn't know I was going to be selling chicken fingers, but I'm just willing to die. And then over time, things start to change, and I get married, and I feel like God is like, hey, going to be a dad. And so we have my first son, but then for some reason, we just haven't been able to get pregnant. And then God begins to put foster care on my heart. And I'm like, I never really ever thought about doing foster care. That doesn't sound like something I would want to do, but God begins to transform my mind about it and begins to see, send me out and go, you're going to be a father to the same type of kids that you were when you were growing up. And so I just had to be willing to, God, to die. And every step of my life, it's just been one death after another death after another death. And so right here in Northwest Arkansas, where success seems like you got to be well put together and you got to communicate, and you need to be confident and wear the right things and all these things. I'm here to tell you it's not your education. I'm here to tell you it's not your status. It's not the title you have at your job. God is measuring progress based on how many times are you willing to put things to death for my name. And if he can sacrifice his son, how much more should we be able to sacrifice the things that hold us back? So I'm asking you to die today. I'm asking you to hold, hold a funeral for all the things that you've been keeping in. Today, I'm asking you to hold a funeral for, funeral for that pornography that's been holding you back. Today, I'm asking you to hold a funeral for those expectations that you've had for people and everybody seems to let you down. That bitterness, we got to plant that in the ground today. That depression, we got to go ahead and put that in the gr ground because it's only when we're able to do that that fruit begins to plant in our life. This is what Jeremiah is telling the children of Israel. You're going to be here for seven years, 70 years, but can you plant anyway? You might not ever make it out, but can you provide some fruit for somebody that's going to come behind you? And so for the older generation in this room, come on, you're not done. We're not done planting yet. We're not done growing yet. We're not done being obedient yet. You're not, you haven't progressed all the way till you made it yet. God is saying, we need you to continue on. We need you to continue on because there's people coming behind you that are going to benefit from your obedience. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.